Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, and the last time the title was The Benefits of Justification. Some may say, well, what is justification? Well, that means when God declares us righteous, which is really a miracle in itself, because of what Jesus did on the cross. Once we believe and trust in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for the, for the atonement of our sins, the propitiation, uh, we are declared righteous by God, and there's benefits that come with that. It's not just, you know, some people have the attitude, well, I just, I'll just eventually die and go to heaven. But, you know, Jesus also promises us abundant life here and to grow and to mature and things to that nature. Uh, this morning, the message is titled, Dead or Alive. And what are we dead to? Are we dead to, some people are dead to God. They don't have a relationship with him. And those of us who have trusted Christ are dead to a lifestyle of sin controlling us, running our everyday lives. Or are we alive? Are we alive to God, as the scripture says, or are we just alive physically, but dead spiritually? It's amazing when you start to see these contrasts and comparisons and metaphors in the scripture. Uh, it really is, is really powerful illustration. So we're going to look at this in six parts. We're going to jump in Romans 6 in the New Testament, starting with verse 1. He says, now remember, this is one continuous letter, so... We have to go context. We have to talk about what happened before. But he says, what shall we say then? The Apostle Paul says this. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So what is this? What shall we do, number one out of six, with this newfound grace? Let's look at the context to chapter five. What do we just cover? Where he leaves off in five, where he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Grace superabounds, so to speak. So the question is, should we sin without restraint because grace can be multiplied? It can overtake sin. And you have to get to the last message to really comprehend that idea, that understanding. And the answer is no, because we have a new nature. We also have a new relationship to sin. It doesn't control us. It doesn't dominate us. Are we still going to sin? Of course we are. We're still in this flesh. But there is different, uh, over the years, over the millennia, there's been false doctrines that have arisen. Uh, one, it's, you don't really need to know the terms, libertines, antinomianists, and they basically have this idea that, well, God can do anything good with something that's a negative, so let's just continue sinning because he can make things, he can take anything that's really garbage or, or refuse and turn it into some treasure. But Paul says, no. We have a new nature now that we're believers in Christ. And we need to understand that Christ dying for our sins puts us in a good place eternally, but it also destroyed the power of sin over our lives. So I look at this, and and I have a few of these things in my mind that I refer to every so often. 
it's kind of, I have fun with mathematics, ability versus probability. And the ability now in Christ is we have the ability really to say no to every temptation that comes into our life. We have the ability to say no to every sin, but the probability is that some of those are going to get through. In moments of weakness, we are going to sin. So I don't want anyone to believe if they don't know Christ yet, you know, or maybe they're new believers, and they're like, I'm still sinning. I must not be saved. No, you still will sin, but it doesn't have to control you. And I can think of my past life of 26, 27 years. It did control me. Now it doesn't. First um, Corinthians ten thirteen. if we could put that up, God also gives us tools in our tool, toolbox. In 1 Corinthians 10, in verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. You, know, you can't wake up and say, oh, this temptation, I couldn't help myself because no one's ever experienced the temptation I've experienced. Uh, the, in, the, in the word of God, it says, temptation is temptation. And he says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, like an escape hatch, that you may be able to bear it. So if we're tempted to do something wrong, God gives us the tools to say no to that temptation and turning it into a sin. And again, I'll just use myself in his example. Every time that I sin, I make the choice to do it. So I'm just going to say that. Um, there's times that I'm victorious and there's times that I'm not. However, God has always given me a way of escape and he would do the same thing for you. Um, so that's important. The Apostle Paul makes these analogies. He says, when Jesus Christ died for our sins, he destroyed its power. So we are, in essence, baptized into his death. Baptism. What is baptism? You know, when we... Actually, we're going to have another one on August 11th, if anyone wants to be baptized. But there's so much symbolism in baptism. And before we actually go into the back and do the dunking, uh, I speak scripturally about all these different parallels, all these analogies, all this symbolism. Because baptism is really pregnant with meaning. There's a lot in there. So what we do is we identify... Or we're baptized into his death, so we're, we identify with Jesus' death as it had major implications for our spiritual lives. And this is why, when people ask the questions, why don't you baptize babies here? Because a person who's being baptized has to have the conscious knowledge and understanding of what they're getting into, right? So you never see the, in the Bible babies being baptized. That was just a traditional thing that kind of crept in later. Because you have to make that conscious decision that you're, you know why you're being baptized. I want to identify with Christ. So it's not only his, his resurrection, we're identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. You know, as, as his death brought us life. And as Jesus Christ went through a, through a metamorphosis, a change, we also go through a metamorphosis. His was more on the outside, you know, when he died and he rose again, his form changed. You know, he willingly gave up his life so that we could have life. But when he was resurrected, he had this, this form that he could pass in and out of walls. And I mean, he's fully God and fully man. So the metamorphosis is a change. We also go through a change where you don't necessarily see it like you did with the, the believer's soul with Christ, but with ours, it's on the inside. We go through this change. We have this new nature, this new relationship to God and this new relationship to sin where we control the results instead of it controlling us. So a lot going on here. And so the question is, and the question was asked, what shall we do with this newfound grace? We, we looked at this in verse 1. The answer is, 
Here is we should walk, verse 4, in newness of life. And that, sadly, in some in the Christian culture are unfulfilled because they're actually not walking in the newness of life. And this is important. There's a lot of good churches out there. There's a lot of good churches around here. But it's so important to go to a teaching church instead of a feeling church because if Satan can't get us to disbelieve God, what he can try to do is keep us in ignorance of the word of God. Some people read the scripture. Maybe they've been a Christian for a few years, and they start to do a study on the scripture, and they're like, well, this is great. This is great news. I never heard this before, right? We have this power that we don't realize, that we don't realize. I have a, um, a, a mixed-breed dog. I have a pit bull. I have two of them. Two, they're both rescues. And we took them from the south because they were, you know, through these rescue organizations, they were abused. And the one dog doesn't realize how much power she has. She lets the cats bully her. You know what I'm saying? So she's got muscle and strength and you can see the sinews, but the cats boss her around. So, you know, I kind of look at it as as Christians, we have so much power and we don't realize it. And a lot of Christians are kept in ignorance by Satan. Actually, Pastor Vinny, at the end of this month, is going to teach a a sermon called Bible Illiteracy. I can't wait to hear it. I'm really excited about it. So we continue. And I don't say these, these things to pick on people, but I say it to encourage, to say you have so much that you're not aware of, that God has prepared for you in your toolbox, so to speak. Verse 5, we continue. He says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, the old nature, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Better translation is that the body of sin may be rendered inoperative, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And that's the experience that some Christians are missing. They're, maybe they're good with the whole dying with him and the, their sins are forgiven, but they're not living. They're not living the full Christian life. I say that as an encouragement. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. The Bible says he only died once for our sins. It was a perfect sacrifice. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you, Christians, look at the parallel. Reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So two out of six is the Apostle Paul takes us deeper. He gives us a deeper understanding of what he's talking about. You know, the body of sin, when you're not... And sin could be something simple as living a selfish, self-gratifying life. You know, it's a, it's a life of sin. It's a life without God. You don't know the Lord. And it's, your body becomes an instrument of sin, your body of sin. Uh, but he said that once we're believers, we can render it inoperative. It becomes now neutral. It becomes innocuous. It doesn't become a vehicle for sinful things. And then he speaks about the old man or the old woman, the old life of the flesh. Sometimes I hesitate with some of my analogies, but I'm going to give it a whirl and see what happens. Uh, So I lived, I I had a secular career. I was a police officer for 25 years, and the first few years I was not saved. So I lived a life completely for myself. And the, the officers who came on with me, the older officers, witnessed my life, as probably many of their lives, it just was all about me. A few years into my career, I become a Christian, 
decade or so later, I become a pastor. So now, fast forward a few years ago, I, I have the last few years, I'm just about to retire, and there's all young, young officers. They're like my sons, you know. We, I looked out for them, I trained them, a lot of different things. But it's just the culture. Everything's entertainment because the job can be so depressing. So they would always say, Joe, we heard stories about you. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so they would say, show us the old Joe. Like, they want to be entertained. You know, come out with us. You know, they try to tempt me. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, the old Joe is dead. But I think the cool thing about that was that people did see a change. Obviously, they were talking about the old Joe. I said, the old Joe's dead. He's not coming back. And uh, no matter how much you try, <laughs> it, it's not going to happen. So it's, it's, th- there's a marketable change. There's a, a marked change in us when we become believers. And it doesn't happen right away. And it's, it's, listen, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. But we strive to be like Christ. We strive to get closer to him as we continue on this journey in life. You know, he does things. He wants to use us. And we're going we're gonna to cover that. So Christ's atoning sacrifice not only gave us entry into heaven, but he, he crucified the old man or the old woman. He crucified that bondage to sin. I'll, I'll leave you with another. Today's analogy day. Uh, and I, I think about this. You know, you, you've, let's say you, you have this dog, Fido, and he's, um, he's got a cruel owner, and he's got this electric fence that he turns up really high. And Fido, he puts Fido in like a, a piece of uh, invisible fence the side of this rug. And Fido's vibrant. He wants to run. And he's just so beaten down by his owner. And he just can't get out of there because he gets shocked every time he tries to move. And he just whimpers. Animal control comes and, you know, the, the owner's abusive. He gets arrested. He gets charged. The dogs are freed. The fence is shut down. The collar's taken off. And come on, Fido, let's go. But Fido just stays there. Because Fido is still living in the old world. He has this fear of being zapped. He's been abused in his mind to where he just stays in that position. Fido has freedom and Fido doesn't know it. A lot of Christians are like that. They have so much. God wants to do so much with them. But they, they're just so beaten down that they don't live it. Folks, if, if you learn nothing else this morning, is that God wants to change your life. You know, this isn't, uh, I'm not, was it Tony Robbins? I'm not a motivational speaker. But I can tell you from the scripture that God wants to do a great work in you. So I'm going to tell you something. And there's probably a handful of people that have walked in today that are probably going to say, you know what? They're going to leave this place and say, I want to try to live that resurrected life. I want to be alive to God because I haven't been living. Amen? Well, maybe more than a few. Uh, so, so we continue on. Uh, this is important, too, because the old man or the old woman, and, and this, is, this is a problem, too, in the Christian culture. Because people think, well, all right, this is, you're talking about murderers and robbers and terrorists and racists. Yes, but not just them. You know, some people live a moral life. They've been taught to be moral. They don't have a relationship with, with the Lord, but they, they're not saved. And maybe they don't do those heinous things. I didn't do those heinous things, but they're living for themselves. Selfishness is a sin. It could be the God of self. Everything I do, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, it's just always about me. And I give no concern to the things of God, how he wants to change me, how he wants to use me. 
I mean, people can make idols out of anything. I mean, they can make, listen, some make an idol out of their vacation time or their leisure or, you know, when the warm weather comes in in every church in America, the attendance goes down. You know, the S-U-N comes out and people forget about the S-O-N. Well, I'll worry about it in the beginning of October when, you know, I'm done with my my plans. Really? What about those that uh, make an idol out of retirement? Oh, the last 15 years of my life. How do you know you're going to live 15 years? We don't know the day that we're going to pass away. People can make an idol out of anything, forget about God, and even as believers live a very selfish life. And that's really sad. That's unfortunate. Because you have all of eternity. Those, even if you make it those 15 years, there's all of eternity. What, what did you do? You know, what, what's going to be your legacy when you go to see the Lord? So you have these things going on. Uh, verse 9 through 11, Christ died only once. He died for our sins only once. And then we also die only once because we died with him. Of course, not literally, not 2,000 years ago. But when he died and we received that sacrifice, we trust in Christ. We, we also die to the old nature. You know, sin is, is a, a nasty taskmaster, a slave owner who doesn't control us anymore. And we, we can start to call the shots. It's pretty neat. Verse 12, continuing on, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members, your, your body, you know, the, how you live your life, as instruments. can also be translated weapons of unrighteousness to sin. Remember, we're in a spiritual battle. We're not in a literal, physical battle. We're not taking up arms, but we're in a spiritual battle. So present yourself as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments or weapons of righteousness to God. We often talk about the, the, the armor, right? Ephesians uh, uh, 6, right? Am I right? Somebody help me out here. Thank you. I, I'm good with calling out if you have to correct me. Uh, so as uh, instruments or weapons of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace so 12 through 14 3 out of 6 is the believer's death to sin in practice and this is cool a lot of people will read the Bible and say well now what do I do I read it I have it up here how do I get it to translate in my members in my daily life and that's a great question As a matter of fact, Calvary chapels teach part of the way that we're taught to minister or or preach from the pulpit is the third stage is the application phase, which is really the most important. Observation, observe the scripture, interpretation, application. How do we start to apply this to our lives? You know, you've heard the expression, you are what you eat, and that's true. You eat bad your whole life, bad things are going to happen to you. Um, but this says you are what you do, you are what you believe. And behavior follows belief. You show me anybody who has a certain behavior, and I will tell you what they believe without them saying a word. Because when you believe it in here, it translates here, right? So consider that. The old life, the, the feet, the hands, the voice, the mind. Um, you know, when we're not saved, our feet walks us, takes us places. It was me. Think places you shouldn't go. Um, you get in the car, you, you, you touch the gas and, and the brake, and you shift, and your hands and your feet are taking you somewhere. What do you do on a daily basis? Right? How do you live your life? 
my hands can be used for evil or my hands can be used for good. My voice, my mind, uh, you know, these are our members. These are the things that are controlled by who we are inside. You are what you do. You are what you believe. There are plenty who can say, oh, I believe Jesus. I love Jesus. I walk with Jesus. But their lives may tell a different story. They have to be, they have to work together. So the same members previously used for evil are now used for good. Verse 14, it says, basically, the law can't help us stop sinning. The law shows us our sin. It can't change our lives for good. Only grace can do that. Verse 15, continuing on. He says, what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Another question comes up. Paul would, would debate. He would go to the... Um, you know, the open air preaching, he would, uh, he, Paul was like, he just went everywhere. He traveled, he went to different countries, and it was always with the idea to share the gospel of Jesus. He would, he would hang out with the Greeks to listen to their philosophy and then compare the truth of God's word with Greek philosophy and show them why God's word was better. So Paul would, would, would gain um, questions from others. He would gain different philosophies. And then what he did was he would, he would speak about them, not only in his debate, his open-air preaching, but he would also uh, share it in his letters, uh, even almost warning the Roman Christians what was going to come their way and to inoculate them from it. So very fascinating when you look at the life of Paul. He's an amazing servant of the Lord. So he says, what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered or entrusted. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms. The analogy, you know, everybody in the Roman Empire, unfortunately, uh, saw, they all knew that slavery existed. So he used something that they understood to make a spiritual analogy. And it was a harsh analogy. Because slavery was horrible. And sometimes we have to be woken up when we don't know the Lord and look in the mirror and see that we're not the person we think we are. We're being deceived. So he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, for Everyone must serve something or someone. Nobody is a free agent. So verse 1, some asked if they should continue sinning because grace superabounded. Here the question is, should we sin because you said that we're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace. And again, this is why the early church, when you look at the book of Acts, you know, church has changed over the years. Christians came together to study God's word. I mean, they could have done it at home. They fellowshiped together. They studied God's word. They took communion together. They prayed together. They, they didn't go to some place to get entertained and then go home and not learn anything Sunday morning. That's just an American aberration as far as I'm concerned. You know, if you go to a church and you leave it and you learned nothing about God, you're at the wrong church, you know? Uh, some of these places, they have to tell people what they want to hear because they've got to pack out stadiums. They can't say anything that might be perceived as negative. 
because the people won't pay, they won't come back, and they're going to lose money. You see, it's, all, it's a whole system that, that happens. But the early church was not like that. They came together. They came in small groups. They learned together. They wanted to know more God's word and how they could apply it to their lives because false doctrine was starting to take root in the first few centuries. So they had to be inoculated from that false doctrine, right? And if we're ignorant of the truth, we can end up following a false gospel or a false Jesus, as the Apostle Paul says. This pretend Jesus that we're made in, it's like making a God in your image. Oh, this Jesus, and this is what I think he is, and this is what I think he does. And that person that never existed, that's not going to save anybody. So we need to know the word. Now, if you would have told me in my old life when I was young that I was a slave to someone, I would have thought you were trying to pick a fight with me. I would have been so highly insulted. But the joke was on me because I didn't know. I was blinded, as the Bible says, in my old life. Thank God he saved me. I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to myself. And then I, through coming to Christ, things started to change. So we're either mastered by sin or the true God. There is no other choice. Right? I have to be honest with you. Um, you know, you look at old nature, new nature. <laughs> God, God changes you. You know, can a leopard change its spots? Well, technically, yeah. Well, he can do anything he wants. Uh, God can change his spots if he wants to. He can change us. So you think about the whole nature thing. I mean, if we're a, a lion and all we know is going out and, you know, killing gazelles and hunting them, that's one nature. But in essence, he turns us from a lion in the world, he turns us into those gazelles. So the gazelle that goes out and tries to eat other gazelles is a weird thing. The whole animal kingdom be like, that's not who you are. You're a gazelle. You don't, you don't even eat meat. And as Christians, we, we've been changed. You know, the teeth have been taken out of us. You know, we've been, we've been tamed to, to God's use. You know, we serve at his behest. We don't just go out and fulfill our, our lusts. So we, in a sense, we have a new nature. We're not that thing anymore. So just as ridiculous as it is in the animal world, it's also ridiculous in the spiritual realm. So there's a lot of, a lot of analogies today. I've got to be honest with you. i tell you another story, and then we'll, we've got to be the last part. But stories today. Uh, so Thursday was my day to, I was so busy. Thursday was my day to get Sunday's message together. So I get really excited. I got up in the morning. I ate breakfast. I had my coffee. I sat down at my computer, and I can't find my Bible. Uh, that's just weird. I never lose my Bible. And look how big this thing is. I mean, how do you lose this? So <laughs> I'm tearing up my office. Um, I run out to the car. I'm, t- I'm going in the trunk. I'm tearing the place apart. My, my wife is going, what's the matter with you? I'm like, I lost my Bible. And my flash drive is in there, which has the message up to Thursday. So now I'm, I'm driving to church, and I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry, and my, my, my spirit is starting to change. And I go to church. I can't find the Bible. I'm looking all over. Now I'm really getting upset. I drive home. I call my wife. I call my secretary. By the way, um, the Bible was right here in the pulpit. Duh. <laughs> Look in the pulpit, pastor. <laughs> so I never go up to the pulpit without my Bible. I don't know what I did, but I know that I prayed. And I said to the Lord, okay. I can be, can I ask my wife, I, am a very, I can be very stubborn and hard-headed. And I'm like, this is the message. This is what I got. And I actually prayed. And I'm like, all right, Lord, 
you got my attention. Is it because you want me to change the message? And that was what it was. I actually redid the, I made it too technical before. Uh, and I think the Lord was kind of say to me, you're, you're, you're speaking for me. You're not speaking for you. So the message started to change so that, listen, and I've said this in the opening with Romans, a lot of guys teach Romans and it's a thing because it's Romans. It's, it's a heavy the, theological doctrinal book. They almost teach it like professors in college and you lose a lot of people. And I think God was telling me, just make it applicable, make it understandable. Not that I was doing anything wrong. And I found my Bible, I put my flash drive in, and I changed everything. The point in all that story is, is not that I'm going senile, but the point is that, that God, you have to, we have to open ourselves up to God changing us. So if I really believe what I'm reading and I'm telling you this, I really need to live it at home. So in Romans 6, when God says to use your members for him, your righteousness, I am his slave, That term is still offensive in American culture. It was offensive in the Roman culture. But the truth is, if I'm going to be subject to anyone, and I said I'm not subject to myself anymore, I'm subject to God, it really has to permeate everything that I do. And I'm just, listen, time will tell if the transparency from the pulpit was a smart thing or not, but I'm going to go with it. So, folks, it's, it's one thing to read the Bible, and it's another thing to read the Bible and to apply it to your, to your lives. Amen? <laughs> okay, so verse 20 through 23, last few verses, it says, For when you were your old life, you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were free from God and anything that he wanted because you were living as a heathen. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? And we can all look back, folks, at our old lives and say, Oh, I'm ashamed of that thought. That thought came to my mind. But the good thing is God is merciful to us and he died for those sins that maybe in our memory we're ashamed of. For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God voluntarily, you have your fruit to holiness or sanctification and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So five out of six is that what is your legacy? What is your legacy? And as a Christian, you can say that. I mean, if some university was going to name a wing after you, what would you want them to know about you? What would you want? And here's the thing. This is where the, the physical and the spiritual cross. It doesn't always happen, but this is where there's a crossroads. What's your legacy? What do you want to be known as? When I die, I, want to, I don't want to be known as something physical. I want to be known as something that I did to further the gospel. So what's your legacy? Well, it's either going to be you, you're in Christ. You've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your sins are forgiven. Uh, you don't have to live under the yoke of sin anymore controlling you. You're sanctified or you're, you're, there's, a, there's a process of holiness, which means you, with each passing year, you get more like Christ and less like the world and yourself. And eternal life. On the other hand, it says the wages of sin is death. Unatoned for sin pays wages in two ways. Number one is your death certificate. In the beginning, there were no death certificates, just so you know. Death certificates only came when sin entered the world. Understand that? Tombstones, funeral parlors, the whole industries only came after death entered the world. I've seen a lot of death certificates in my life. 
in both uh, professions. Sin pays wages. You die physically. And then what happens is when you die physically, right, you also die spiritually. Because now you're standing in front of the great white throne judgment, you're going to be judged based on your life and based on any sins you committed. So that's what sin pays. Now, so you, you would ask the question, then why does anybody not turn to God? Well, because, because sin is, the Bible says, pleasurable for a time. It could be anything. It could be power. It could be uh, sex. It could be addictions. It could be anything that just gratifies you for the moment. It feels good. There's a dopamine release in your brain, and it bathes your brain and your neurons, and it feels really good. But it's temporary. Eternal life goes on forever and ever and ever. And some people choose the temporary over the eternal. But the free gift of God, get that, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore because you're now under grace. You're not under the law. So I just want to, if you can cue up the video, um, The movie Les Mis, a lot of people raised their hands, they saw it, and there's just a lot of biblical kind of overtones in the movie, and this one clip, when people ask me, well, what's your favorite clip of, of a pastor? Of course, I'm going to talk about how grace changes everything, and, and basically, some of it's dark in the movie, but Jean Valjean uh, steals bread, he goes to jail, he, and, and prison changes him for the worst. He comes out of prison, he meets with this bishop and this church, and he ends up just reverting back to his old nature. He steals. But something that the bishop does changes this life. And you're not going to see the rest of it, but Jean Valjean's whole nature changes because of one word, grace, grace, grace. You don't, you're, you, if you watch the movie, you'll see the end of it. But look at the clip and see how this kind of starts to unfold. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. 
After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Now, how many churches can you go to where you get to watch movies on a Sunday morning? <laughs> it's obviously just a movie, but you get the point. He said he, he bought his soul with the silver. He showed him grace. Jesus Christ bought our souls with his blood. He said, nobody forces me to be crucified. He goes, I go willingly. As the soldiers, he felt the pain. He had nerves in his wrists and his feet, as we do, in his side. As the soldiers were nailing him to the cross, the pain that he must have felt. And he didn't do anything wrong. And then, as he's on that cross, he bears the sin of the world, something nobody could have seen in the observable world. Jesus bought us with his blood. He did it only once because it was perfect. He showed us grace unto everlasting life. And I heard it preached a lot. And eventually it sunk into my soul. And eventually I gave my heart to the Lord. The only question remains this morning. Are you dead to God in your life of unatoned for sin? Or are you alive to God and dead to sin controlling your life? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you. We're going to give you a moment to receive Jesus and accept the free gift of eternal life because of God's grace. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have Children's Church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.